you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn in them to Joshua 14. And I think some of you knew it was Joshua 14, but you're saying, gosh, that doesn't look like George Robertson up there. Um, it's not. George and I are switching, so George will be here next week, uh, and I'm taking this week. I'm actually glad um, I really wanted to teach uh, on this passage, so I quickly jumped at the opportunity to, uh, to swap with him. Hey, I want to do something this morning just as we kind of think about being um, into our series. I think we're... It uh, looks like six weeks, seven weeks into this series, and so thankful for um, the men who are here. Uh, if, you are, if you are under 30 years old, would you just stand for a second? I just want to see wh- where you are. If you're under 30, stand. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. Now, now, if you're over 80 and you can stand... <laughs> Would you stand? Nice. How awesome is that? Just so encouraging to, uh, to think about um, what we've been doing as men over the last uh, six, seven weeks. Um, we began talking about uh, surrender. Um, it's our nature as men to think that we've got it all together and the first point or first, the starting point for us, if we're going to be men after God's own heart, is surrender. Uh, then Barton taught on true repentance. We looked at humility, dependency, compassion. Uh, Barton's excellent message on compassion. Then last week we talked about courage and prayer and how those two things were, were linked together and they have to be linked together. Uh, you can't have biblical courage uh, as a man after God's own heart without developing yourself as a man of prayer. And that's a lifetime uh, experience or exercises the men in here who are over 80 would tell you. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, Joshua 14, and we're going to look at a particular guy here, Caleb, and we're going to talk about wholehearted devotion to God. Wholehearted devotion to God. So, in the Bible, you know, there's people that we relate to but aren't necessarily wanting to be like. You know, so, you know, maybe one of those is, for me, it's Jacob. It's like, I relate to Jacob, but I relate to Jacob in all the things he does that aren't so great, right? So I, I can, I enjoy reading it because I love seeing how God handles a guy like Jacob. Some of you relate to Peter, uh, you know, certainly pre-day uh, pre, uh, of Pentecost, but it's not like you really want to be that. You don't want to be the guy who's always putting his foot in his mouth. You don't want to be the guy who's always making the wrong moves and trying to prove yourself. But you relate to Peter and you, and you appreciate the way Christ interacts with Peter because it teaches something about you. There's other, other people like that in the Bible that we relate to but aren't necessarily want to be like. And then there are heroes in the Bible. There are, for some of us, some people who go, now I want to be like him. I don't feel like him, but I want to be like him. Caleb, who we're going to look at today, is a guy I want to be like. Caleb, for me, is a hero, and what we're going to be looking at in Joshua 14 is, is just one of my favorites in all of Scripture. And I would have to say, even as we move into this, um, because I've had the privilege of being at this church for uh, almost 21 years and being a part of this Bible study for at least um, the last 15 years, uh, there are some Caleb's in this room that I'm grateful for. Uh, some men who have shown me by examples the Holy Spirit's work through you, um, what it means to, to live a life like Caleb lived. 
Now, before we dive into chapter 14, we've got to get the context. We've got to get the, the picture here. So you see there in the scriptural introduction, I've given you kind of a rough outline of the book of Joshua. Since we're not studying through Joshua, but we're just looking at chapter 14, I thought it was important for us to get, get the picture here. Joshua 1 through 5 really talks about the people of God entering the land. This is after they've gone and been in the wilderness for 40 years. We'll get to that story in a second. But now here in Joshua 1 through 5, this is them entering the land. Uh, and then chapters 6 through 11 is them conquering the land. So you see the battles that took place there. Chapters 12 through 21 is inheriting the land. A lot of these chapters, including the one we're going to look at, uh, some of them, you, you read them and you go, wow, this is just a list of people's names and locations. Why is this valuable? Um, boy, if, if, if we were there and we would have been able to experience the joy that they would have experienced, we would find those chapters extremely exciting. As I heard one pastor say, it'd be kind of like in a room like this going, you know, okay, all right, John, Hammonds, this is your inheritance. You get the state of Florida, you know, Price, um, you're getting all of North Carolina. That's going to be yours. And, and you'd hear that and go, for me, all of that for me, this is great. That's what the people of God were hearing in chapters 12 through 21. And then chapters 20 through, 22 through 24, this is them enjoying the land. So that's the, the structure. So we're going to be reading a chapter that has to do with inheriting the land. Now, the background of Joshua 14 is found in Numbers 13 and 14. And we do need to read a few verses there. So turn in your Bibles. Just turn back a few books of the Bible to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to read a few places. This is when Moses sends 12 spies into the land. So he sends 12 spies representing the 12 tribes. They have, they're about a year out of Egypt. Um, and they've gone, you know, they've gone to Mount Sinai. They received the Ten Commandments. They're about to go into the land. God has said, this is your land. I'm going to give it to you. And so 12 uh, spies are sent into the land. And uh, uh, Caleb is representing the tribe of Judah. And when they come out of... Uh, investigating the land, the, uh, the report is this. All 12 of them are like, the land is exactly like God said it would be. It's amazing. It, it, it re- it's, it's so uh, fertile. Here's, here's some of the, the produce from the land. I mean, it really is as beautiful and amazing as God said it would be. But there are giants in the land. But these people are a force. Their cities are fortified. We can't do this. And we pick up in Numbers 13, verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against these people, for they are stronger than we, than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw are, in, are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come up from Nephilim. And we, see, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and as so we seemed to them. So they put the fear, it says they, they actually made the, the people's hearts melt. Now turn over to, still, we're still in Numbers, Numbers 13, look at verse 5, then Moses, Numbers 14, verse 5, excuse me, 14, verse 5, 
Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly and the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring it to this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And then turn over, lastly, look over verse 20. Moses pleads for the people to not be destroyed, and God says, I won't destroy them, but they're going to have to go back out. It says in verse 20 of chapter 14, the Lord said, I have pardoned. To, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land in which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So people are sent back out and Joshua and Caleb go with them. Now, let's turn to our passage this morning and read Joshua 14, beginning at verse six. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since that time in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength is now as my strength was then for war, for going out, for coming. So now give me this hill country for which the Lord spoke on that day. For you had heard it said how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. Brothers, when I read verses 11 and 12, I just get fired up. Maybe you heard it in my voice. What a great moment. How in the world, how can I be a man like this who says at 85 years old, I'm still as strong today as I was then. I wonder if the guys around him who are like in their 40s are like, are you serious? I think you're, I think you're walking with a cane, Caleb. And Caleb's like, no, listen to me. I am strong today as I was then. 
Now give me that hill country. Caleb could have been a guy that could have said, hey, you know what? Send out, send out some of these younger men. I'm basically a war hero. We're back here at this place because I'm the one that, that was faithful. I've wholly followed God, so you know what? Send out the young armies. Take uh, my land for me and then give it to me, and I'm going to go you know, pitch a really beautiful tent by the seaside, and I'm going to enjoy the fact that I've been the one faithful, that I've been the warrior all these years, that I've done this. It's time for me to retire. <laughs> and everybody would have said, yes, let's do that for Caleb. Let's take care of him. Let's let him rest. But that's not what Caleb wants. Caleb instead says, no, 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 no. I don't want a retirement right now. I want that hill country. That's my inheritance. And I want to lead the charge. I'm still as strong today. And I read that and I, and I meditate on it. I think, how in the world can I be a man like that? How can I be a man who has wholehearted devotion? You notice it says that three times in the passage you read. Verses 8, verses 9, and verse, 12, uh, verse 14. He wholly followed the, God, uh, the Lord. He was wholehearted in this and faithful to the end, right? So not just a great moment when he was in his 40s, and that was a great moment. But all the way, now 85, still on the mission, still giving himself fully. How in the world, brothers, are we going to be someone like that? Well, I've given us three things that we see here in this passage that could lead us to be men who are like that. The first thing is this, that Caleb trusted God's promises in verse, verses 6 through 9. Caleb trusted God's promises. Caleb was like, God told us we would have this land. In fact, Caleb said, God told, remember, you remember, Joshua, remember Moses said that God said, I would get the land. Not just the people of Israel, but he actually mentioned my name. That's a promise that has been given us, and I'm going to trust God's promise. And listen, brothers, Caleb was trusting God's promises 40 years before that, right? So they're at the edge of the promised land, and in the face of opposition, he still trusted God's promises. Caleb saw the same thing that those other 10 spies saw. He saw the giants. He saw the fortified cities. He knew how strong the opposition was. So his, his opposition that he experienced, first of all, was just an, the outside opposition. He saw, he saw, wow, if we're going to take this land, we are going to face some serious battles on the outside. Not only that, brothers, Caleb trusted God's promises when he was facing opposition from within his own camp. Within his own church, within his own congregation, the overwhelming majority report, the vote, was let's not do what God said. <laughs> and Caleb said, no, we've got to do exactly what God, we've got to trust God, and we've got to do what he says, and it says the people were about to stone him. They were about to put them to death. And Caleb stood strong, trusted God's promises in the face of opposition, and he trusted God's promises despite the length of time. That also amazes me. So he goes back out with the people into the wilderness for 40 years. He knows what it's going to be like in order for this promises to be, promise to be fulfilled. He's going to have to wait until every male who voted not to go into the land has passed away. <laughs> and so for 40 years, 
He's going to wait on God's promises. He's going to trust God's promises for 40 years, waiting for them to be fulfilled. It's also interesting. I'd never thought about this before until this week. It says that Caleb was a Kenizzite. You're like, okay, wait a second. He's not, he's not an Israelite. He's a Kenizzite. So what's, what's that about? Well, it seems most likely that, that uh, his father or his ancestry was Kenizzite, and somehow he ended up in Egypt among the, uh, the Israelite slaves. And so he ended up getting thrown in with them. So he's not necessarily an ethnic Israelite. He's a Kenizzite. But he's been thrown in with them, and he's traveled with them, uh, being freed as a slave. He's gone to the edge of the promised land. He has done exactly what God asked him to do. And now God says, you know, we're going, to send, we're going to send the Israelites into the wilderness for 40 years. If I were Caleb, wouldn't you just gone, great, they, yes, send them. I'm going to stay here. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and work something out on the side of the Jordan here while they go pay the punishment. He didn't do that, brothers. He was not only faithful to God, he was faithful to God's people. Even in their um, discipline from God, he stayed with them. And he was willing to wait on God's timing for all of it. Trusting God's promises. I, I wonder, brothers, are we right now, whether you're under 30 or over 80, are we trusting God's promises for our lives, for his church, for his people? Thought of one this week. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, on what you have said and on people like you who believe in me as the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. That's the promise. Are we believing that promise or are we thinking we need to help God out with that promise? God says, I'm going to build my church. And you know what, he didn't, and the Lord doesn't, and the Lord doesn't, uh, the Lord doesn't uh, care what the opposition looks like. We talked a lot about the church in China. I'm amazed at what's going on there. Despite severe persecution, their buildings being taken away from them, their church buildings being taken away from them, their property being taken away from them, constant guard, all this, their pastors being thrown in prison, the church in China continues to grow. <laughs> People continue to come to know Jesus and the church in China continues to grow. And I'm going to tell you, what excites me or what encourages me, thinking about God's promise, God says, I'm going to build my church. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're always going to get to keep the building at Goodlett and Poplar. But you know what? It doesn't matter if they take the building. It won't, it won't wipe out his church. We will, God will, will fulfill that promise. Even as we, in our, in our time here, in our time in history, it seems like in America, the church is, is waning or people are leaving the church. Brothers, trust God's promises. God said, I will build my church. Are we trusting God's promises? You can bank on that. And then are we willing to wait on God? Willing to wait on God. You know where I think of this most often? 
I think of it when we think of our grandsons, our sons, our daughters, our grandsons, our granddaughters. You know, there's a promise made when we baptize or dedicate a child. And we're, we're banking on God's promises that, that how he has saved us, he will save our kids or save our grandkids. We're banking on that promise. The tough thing, isn't it, brothers, is when, when God says, you know, you're going to have to wait on that promise to be fulfilled longer than, than you may want. <laughs> and some of you in here are still waiting and you plead Lord, I've been praying this. You put this on my heart. I, 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 when is it going to be fulfilled? I'm telling you, brothers, you can trust God's promises. <laughs> may, it may take longer. It may take longer than your life. You know, God even promises that he's going to completely heal us. I... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, my hobby is, uh, is coaching high school soccer. So I'm the assistant soccer coach at a, at a high school here. Um, and I've been doing that. I've been doing that ever since I got out of college. Whatever I'm doing, this is kind of my, that's my duck hunting season is, uh, is uh, soccer season. That's my, my one big hobby. Yesterday, I made a very foolish decision. And uh, that was that they, uh, they needed some coaches to jump in the goals. We were playing small scrimmages and two of the other keepers were hurt. So I'm like, I'm just as strong today as I was 30 years ago, right? So I jump in the goal. Um, I woke up this morning, y'all, and I, maybe you've noticed, I can't, I'm not moving as much or as fast. My knee is really, really, really hurting. Some of you are like, yeah, listen, Todd, you get over 50 and you wake up every day and things are hurting. The Lord promises to heal us. It may not be in this lifetime, in this earth. But brothers, be assured, <laughs> your body will be completely healed someday. That is a promise that God has. Are we trusting? Are we willing to wait on that? Caleb trusted God's promises. Secondly, Caleb experienced God's faithfulness. See that in verses 10 and 11 as he talks about what God did for him in the wilderness. 40 years. I love reading about that wilderness experience. You know, the discipline of God, the discipline of God for his people, when you read through scripture, is always restorative, never punitive. The discipline of God for his people is always restorative, is always meant to bring them back. It's not meant to make them pay because you know what? We can't pay. Two things. One, you and I cannot pay for our sin. It's too great. And praise the Lord, Jesus Christ has already paid for your sin. <laughs> so when God disciplines us, and he does, it's always in order to bring us back. It's always in order to move us back uh, into uh, relationship with him. So they're out there. God is intending to, to draw his people back to himself. Forty years they're out there being disciplined. When you read about it, you know what happened? God never left them in the midst of that discipline. The pillar of cloud was there every day. The pillar of fire was there every night. It says that their shoes didn't wear out. It says that they received manna every day from God. God never stopped taking care of them, even in the midst of their discipline. And Caleb here is talking about that kind of, of faithfulness of God. He talks about God's faithfulness in provision and how God provided for him. He said in verse 10, he has kept me alive these years. Some of you who are younger are like, well, okay, yeah, sure. Listen, you get over 80 and you know God has kept you alive. Like, you know it, right, brothers? <laughs> You're very aware. 
Caleb's like, no, listen, I know where I get my life from. I know it's God that's done this. He's the one that's providing for me in the midst of this. He's also providing for me in strength. Caleb talks about his strength in verse, verse 11. Just so, so beautiful. I'm still strong today as they and the Moses sent me. My strength is now as my strength was then. How in the world can Caleb say that? I've thought about this for years. How could Caleb say that? Is he just, he's just some kind of bravado? What, what's, that Caleb can say this because he's experienced God's faithfulness to him and he knows where he gets his strength. So he knows now at 85, if God has a mission for me, he will give me the strength to accomplish the mission. And because he's experienced that, he leans into it. He goes, God will give me strength. If this is what God wants me to do, he will give me the strength. He will provide for me and he will give me the strength uh, to do it. So I ask you, brothers, are we experiencing God's faithfulness? Are we experiencing God's faithfulness? Let me give you the quick answer. The answer is yes, you are. <laughs> I'm not sure always that we're acknowledging it. Now, you young guys in here, you under 30, you're at a little bit of a disadvantage in this, uh, in this question um, because there's, some, there's a beautiful thing, young men, about living enough years to realize that, oh, you know what? God really will take care of me. <laughs> I remember, maybe, uh, I can't remember if I shared this story with you before, but I remember a point which I was 27 years old, had a couple of uh, little guys in the house. Um, man, I was making it paycheck to paycheck, right? Like I, I just, I knew when the paycheck dropped because I was arranging finances so that I could um, <laughs> make sure I had money in the bank to, to, pay, to pay the bills. And we had a car, uh, we just had one car at that time, and the car needed to be repaired. And, uh, and the bill was going to be pretty big. But I had kind of worked through that. The car was in the shop. And I had a, a, a friend of mine, an uh, older man, said, hey, listen, you can, you can borrow this, this other car. So I borrowed, the, borrowed, his, borrowed his car. And uh, one afternoon, um, my five-year-old son gets into the car. Um, uh, we don't know. You know, obviously we're being great parents. He's in the car. We don't even know we're in the house somewhere. Um, he, uh, he somehow gets it into neutral. Now, thankfully, he got out, but the car rolls down our driveway, across the street, bounces the curb, and goes in the neighbor's yard. Now my son has left the car door open, and it, it doesn't hit the tree but it brushes past the tree and rips the car door off the car. <laughs> I'm 27 years old. I got a car in the shop and I'm trying to figure out how to pay for that. And uh, I'm staring <laughs> at something I can't fix and I don't, I don't have insurance for. And I don't know how I'm going to say, I, I, I remember just being overwhelmed. I called somebody out of town and said, I don't know what to do. I look back now and go, you know what? God had you the whole time. It all worked out, by the way, brothers. <laughs> the Lord provided through a lot of different means. 
And I can give you story after story after story after story after story after story of times when I felt like my resources, whether they were financial or emotional, I told you one last week, the panic that I experienced that one Saturday morning in October of 2019, when I woke up and realized, oh wow, we're going through chemotherapy. I don't know if my wife's gonna make it. I don't know if I have enough. I'm enough, I'm not. I'm not compassionate enough. I'm not strong enough to go through this, Lord. I've got, I don't have the resources. But then I experienced God's faithfulness. I experienced God's provision. I experienced God's strength. Listen, all of us in here, every single one of us in here has experienced God's faithfulness in certain places. What we've got to do, brothers, is acknowledge it. We've got to, Scripture over and over, so many places in Scripture, doesn't it say, remember Remember, go, th- go through the book of Psalms and just underline every time it says, remember. Why does it say remember? Because we've got to bank God's faithfulness in order to face the next day. If you've banked that, if you see it and you know it, then things change when you look at things now. Because you're like, you know what? I look at my life and where I've come from and where I've, where I've been and, and where I'm going and I recognize that I couldn't get here except that God has been the one who's provided. God has been the one who's given strength. God is the one who's been faithful. And you know what? I'm facing this issue right here. And because I know God has been faithful here, I believe God will be faithful there. Caleb, that's how he lived. <laughs> that's what he's proclaiming here. God has been faithful to me. So whatever this mission is across the Jordan, pretty sure he's going to provide for me. I'm pretty sure he's going to give me strength for that. Brothers, are we experiencing God's faithfulness? And finally, Caleb focused on God's reward. He trusted God's promises. He experienced God's faithfulness. He was banking. He was talking about it. He knew it. He remembered. And here he is focusing on God's reward. He says, so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. Caleb remembered 40 years ago that God said, I get that land. And you know what his focus was in the desert for 40 years? It was like, I'm getting that land. God says, I get that land. I mean, he was human. I know we want to make Bible people out to be like they're Superman. They're not. But I bet, I mean, I'm sure there were days when he was focused on, I need to get the manna. But it appears that his, that his driving focus for 40 years in the wilderness, what, what made him get up in the morning, what made his decisions make sense was to be focused on the reward that God has for me. I have an inheritance and I'm banking on that. That's why I'm alive. That's why I'm going back. That's what's going on here. How in the world could he have that focus? Well, it's right there in the verses. First, because he was believing God's word. He said in verse 12, part A, the Lord spoke on that day. Caleb knew God's word and he believed God's word. And again, if we want to be men who are focused on the reward that God has for us, we got to keep doing this. We got to be men of the word. We gotta, somebody said this last week, and, and uh, I meant to mention it. We got to memorize God's word. I should have brought that up last week. It's not just let's study it, let's know it, and let's memorize it. 
Let's bank it in our hearts and minds. Caleb memorized (laughs) what God had said. And he was believing it. And the second thing he was doing, he was relying on God's strength. That strength thing, you can tell, it catches me. But notice what it says in uh, the second part of verse 12. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. He's not presuming and he's not, he's not trusting his own strength. Clearly, Caleb has lived the manhood series that we're doing right now because you can see in him this dependency and this humility. He is, he is saying, hey, my strength comes from the Lord and it could be, if, God is, if this is what God wants me to do, he is going to be with me. I'm relying on God's strength. I'm not relying on my own strength. And so here's Caleb for 40 years with one focus. God has promised me a reward. I'm going to get that reward. That's why I'm living. I'm living for that. And I can live for that, Caleb says, because I've memorized God's word. I know exactly what he said. And I'm banking on that. And I can can focus on the reward because I am relying every day on God's strength to get me to that reward. And whatever it takes to get there, I believe God is going to give me the strength to do it. And that's that's how he's living. I thought about this. Are we... Are you focused on the reward God has for us, brothers? Are you focused on that? Turn with me quickly to Hebrews, first to Hebrews chapter 10. Places in scripture where I see certain things written and I'm like, ah, what is that? I got to know that. I got to feel that. I want to experience that. Even though it always, almost always has to do with suffering, but I do, <laughs> Hebrews 10, verse 32, talking about, this is talking about God's faithfulness and, and, uh, and um, how it builds us up. And then it says in verse 32 of cha- Hebrews chapter 10, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, so after you came to know Christ, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. What does it mean by that? It means this, that Christians were being thrown into prison, but the only way those Christians could be taken care of is if other brothers and sisters in Christ brought them food. But when you brought them food, it identified you as a Christian. And so they're going to persecute you now. So they came to your house and took your stuff. And somehow, these Christians were like, this is great. They're taking our stuff. How could they say that? He says, because you had a better possession and an abiding one. Let's keep going. Verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. <laughs> For you, need to ha- you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, and here's the promise, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and persevere. 
their souls. That is awesome. Focused on the reward, we don't shrink back in the midst of affliction. This is just, this is just a New Testament description of Caleb. We, we're focused. And you know what? So we're not, we know what the reward is. The reward is not, the reward is not the beach house, the lake house, and I'm not speaking against beach houses and lake houses. I like both of them. Mountain houses, all that, all the houses, right? <laughs> That's not the reward. Reward is not a huge bank account. And I'm not speaking against huge bank accounts. <laughs> but that's not the reward. The reward is not grandchildren. And I'm not allowed to say this to my own son and daughter-in-law, so you can say it for them. They need to go ahead and get moving on that grandchildren thing. <laughs> that's not the reward. Reward for you guys in high school, the reward is not getting accepted into that certain college, though that's awesome. Reward is not state championships. The reward is not that car that you just really want. That reward is not that different job. That reward is not the promotion. All those things are great, but brothers, that's not the reward. The reward is Christ that you and I get to be fulfilled in Christ. As it says in Psalm 16, the very end, that there are pleasures at his right hand, that there is fulfillment. Every longing you and I have ever had that has led us to all the things that I just said. <laughs> and we thought, gosh, if I get this, I'll get that longing fulfilled. I get the promotion. I get the bank account. I get accepted to this college. I get a grandchild. I get, that'll... That was, just, that was just us trying to fill the longing with something that can only be filled by that, that moment when we'll be with Christ. And, and let's turn there. <laughs> Revelation 21. I'm glad in our series on Sunday mornings that we're finally getting to Revelation 21 because I love this. Apostle John writes this. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard in a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. That's the reward. That's the reward. And brothers, if, 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 if we at whatever age we are, if we trust God's promises in opposition and are willing to wait, despite the time, we trust God's promises. If we experience God's faithfulness, if we're remembering, writing it down. That's why I said journal last week. Journal it. 
Write things down. Write your prayers. Write your anguishes down. Write those days when you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it, God. Write it down so that in five years from now you can read and you can go, oh, I know how God helped me. For remembering his faithfulness. And if we are focused on the reward, we're going to be able to live wholeheartedly. We're going to be able to say, just like Caleb, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Would you pray with me? Why don't we just take a moment of silence and why don't uh, give each of us a moment to offer up our own our own prayer right now to the Lord as we respond to his word. Heavenly Father, we would confess to you that uh, (laughs) we feel a lot more like Jacob in his uh, scheming and Peter in his arrogance, even David in his horrendous sin. We feel a lot more like them than we feel like Caleb in his wholehearted devotion. But Father, we know that you have been wholehearted towards us. And that your heart towards us is not just an emotion, is not just a, it's not just a, a, a feeling of, or a, a something sentimental. No, your heart for us is a fact of history. There was a place where you gave your son up for us. A place, a time, it really happened. We can look at that cross and we can know, we can remember that your love, your wholehearted love for us is a fact, whether we feel it this morning or not. Heavenly Father, please flood us. Flood us with the memories of how you have cared for us. Flood us with the promises that we see in Scripture Give us eyes, it says in Hebrews, to to be fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, give us that kind of focus on the reward. And by your Spirit's power, would would you be so merciful and gracious to us to form us into wholehearted men, whole, wholly devoted to God. May we say all our days that we're still as strong today as we were however many years ago. And may we always say every morning, oh, give me this hill country, God, you promised. May we always be on mission, Lord. Please do that so that you get the glory. 
And all God's people said, amen.